Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Bamergi. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi, uh, our twice a month podcast that we put on, and uh, we hope you enjoy. Uh, lots of you telling me that you do. One of the ways you can say thank you for doing the podcast is uh, through Patreon. If you go um, to patreon.com slash NTKR, patreon.com slash NTKR, you can donate any amount that's up there on the board. Uh, We give you your exclusive spiritual blogs. Uh, There are different price levels of donation and with them come different things. So uh, I know it's a bit of a gauntlet, but it really doesn't take much and anything that you can do is truly appreciated. So uh, once again, patreon.com slash NTKR. I also have a book out, which um, I just found out today is on a bestsellers list. So that's a wonderful thing. Uh, The book is called I Thought He Was Dead. And it's a spiritual memoir. It talks about me and coming from Morocco and, you know, growing up in Canada and my broadcast career. But it is very much a book also about a spiritual journey as a human and also about aging and moving yourself from aging in your life to saging in your life and how you can get there. So uh, if you'd like to get it, go to Indigo or Amazon. They should be able to ship it to you pretty quickly. It's kind of uneven, but they do it. I thought he was dead. Uh, or go to my website, ralphbenmergi.ca, and you'll see that uh, it's available through my publishers, Woolsack and Wynn. So thank you to everybody who's been reading the book. I've been getting really uh, wonderful feedback. It's my first book, so it's kind of new territory for me. So I really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to, today I'm going to have a guest who uh, we have a lot in common, even though we've never met. So uh, for those who don't know any of my history, uh, in the year 1957, two years after my birth, Um, People are now doing the math to see how old I am. I'll save you the trouble. 65, 66 in December. Um, We came from Tangier, Morocco to Toronto. And one of the things that allowed us to do that was the Jewish Immigrant Aid Service. They said okay to a lot of Spanish Moroccans like me, Spanish Moroccan Jews, uh, to come to Toronto. My uncle and a few others came and my father phoned and said, so is it all right? My, it was May. And my uncle said, yeah, it's nice here. It's warm. So we showed up in September of 57. And by December, my father was saying, you call this warm? So uh, we, we were good. We uh, had our own synagogue uh, slowly but surely. It started off in the upstairs of the, uh, the Bloor Wise, they called it then, and now the Jewish Community Center. It's been in Bloor in Toronto. And um, then we uh, had our synagogue called Petach Tikva and Shekestia Synagogue. And that's where I, I kind of grew up. But I grew up in two worlds. And it's one of the things I'm going to talk to my guest about in a few minutes. Uh, I grew up, I'm a Sephardic Jew. And I grew up in an Ashkenazi, which is the Eastern European Jew, or as some people say, what's that? And I say, you know, Fiddler on the Roof? And they say, yeah. I say, those guys. So I grew up in their Hebrew school, went to their junior congregation because my father did a lot of shift work, but I spent more than enough time in the Moroccan milieu and certainly had my bar mitzvah in the Moroccan, in Petah Tikva when we were still right downtown on Brunswick. So it's been an interesting journey to be of several different worlds. And in that I've been enriched by both traditions a great deal. So that's kind of the history of, for one, 
namely me. Uh, on Sunday of this week, you won't be hearing me probably for another couple of weeks. So it's now in the past. I'll be going to a Sephardic conference actually in Montreal, and I'll be interviewing um, uh, an author, Robert um, uh, uh, what? Satloff, sorry, Robert Satloff, uh, who's who wrote a book called, uh, well, wrote a book about um, the Holocaust in North Africa, how it manifested itself in North Africa. Because uh, for a lot of us, it was like, no, no, it didn't happen here. But he uh, outlines how it did happen in Tunisia, Algeria, and Morocco in certain ways, with some European Jews being brought there and some locals, like my father, being sent to labor in internment camps. But certainly a different experience than the, the Holocaust of Eastern Europe and the mechanized murder of six million people. So nonetheless, it exists. It's going to be an interesting conversation. So I've always carried it. I, I used to do a show called Midday with uh, Valerie Pringle and her joke to anybody who walked in the room was, um, wait for it in a minute or two, he's going to say he's a Spanish Moroccan Jew. Um, so it's obviously been a big part of my personality and my identity over the years. So all that said, I want to introduce you to my guest. If he clicks on his camera icon, I will see him and you will see him. Uh, he's doing it now. He's searching furiously. There he is. Aaron Ben Susan is a chazan, a cantor, uh, and a liturgical expert in terms of the beautiful music, not just of Morocco and of Sephardic Judaism, but of Ashkenazi Judaism as well. He's moved through both worlds. So um, he got in touch with me and I was so excited and I thought I'd love to have him on. So Aaron, welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing wonderful. It's really a privilege to be with you. It's an honor. I've heard you. I was a big fan of yours for many, many years, listening to jazz, which is my uh, love. Jazz mm -hmm. is like is your love. And uh, so I would listen to you very early in the morning to <laughs> study learning Torah, you know. Yeah. Well, it was his own Torah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, uh, okay, you'll love this. I do a podcast for Jazz FM now called The Torch. And do you know who I got to interview uh, a couple of weeks ago? It's going to be on in uh, December, I think. Sonny Rollins. I got to interview Sonny Rollins. Wow. I know. It's unbelievable. <laughs> 91. You're in that station, you're, you're an icon. I mean, you know, people know you as uh, one of the people that build up the station and uh, your personality went through so beautifully. Thank and you, you could see the, the, the intensive love that you have for, for jazz and for music in general and for people. Yeah, thank you. That's so kind of you. Yeah, uh -huh. So... I'm from Tangier. I'm a tangerine, a tangerino. <laughs> That's right. Uh, or as a friend of mine who is uh, the only Moroccan west of Manitoba, um, we were talking one day and he said, but, you know, these guys, they're French Moroccans. And we both looked at each other and he went, foresteros. <laughs> <laughs> which is basically strangers so jews have a way of making it so that you're, if you're not right down the lane you're not one of them you're one of them uh, but you're not from tangier right no no i'm from mogador Isawira. it's right on the coast near agadir it's wow. uh, at one time this city had uh, big saints like Rabbi pinto all the great uh 
Kabbalists. Mm. Their, their tombs are still there, and uh, and I have visited with uh, my wife quite a few times, you know, to just to show the beauty. Right now, unfortunately, there's no Jews left in that in that city, and um, so it's different. Obviously, for me, it's different. Not seeing a, a synagogue open, even though there are still a couple synagogues left mm. in that city that uh, where my father used to pray. And I used to go with him as a youngster. So it's still, in my own eyes, I still see the Eden. I still see the Jews kind of uh, walking and still the sounds of the piyotim, of the songs that were sung on Shabbat and different things, just uh, part of the walls, like they say. Yeah, like, yeah. Think to you, that's what you would hear. So what did you speak at home, French or Spanish? I, I spoke French and Arabic. And Arabic, yeah, yeah. Moroccan Arabic. That yeah, is. yeah. I have a, a, a relative who's in, he's English, like British, but his, he's an Arabist. And uh, I was going back to Morocco once with my wife and I said, uh, give us a list, because I don't speak Arabic. My parents spoke Arabic. I said, give me a, a list of, of Arabic words. And he said, no, no, no. Moroccan Arabic is completely different than Egyptian or Syrian or any of those. It's a completely different Arabic. So he said, I can't help you with that. You're gonna what? so what I what I did in Tangier is I spoke Spanish and, uh -huh. and everyone understood. We were looking for the old uh, my father and mother worked at the old Jewish hospital in Tangier, Hospital Ben Shimon. Wow. And um, so I went looking for it and I, I did find it and I found the woman who had taken care of my brothers. Um, so your family, though, the lineage of your family goes very profoundly into some of the most impactful Jewish thinkers in history, including Maimonides and, you know, a Ben Susan who taught Maimonides. I mean, that's crazy. That, that, is, that is crazy. When I think about that, I... I, I... It's very scary. It's like, wow, you know, coming from that, what the heck did I do <laughs> in my life? <laughs> How do I follow that up? Exactly. <laughs> and your father, uh, your father was a, a prominent rabbi and, and a leader of the Jewish community, right? My, my grandfather. My right. grandfather on my mother's side was the head rabbi of Morocco in his time. And um, he was a great, you know, one of those... Special rabbis, no-nonsense rabbis, you know. It's mm. a different kind of category and caliber of people. These people, um, you know, he was a shochet. He, he, mm. he slaughtered animals at the age of 13. Wow. You know, he, he was, you know, they were like spoon-fed by their parents and everything was just so, like, like, like if you went to shtetl, in Europe, and you have all the Hasidim, and you have all the rabbis who teach you from father to son, and this and that. It's unfortunately today, you know, you get the diploma over uh, over at, uh, over internet, and you're a rabbi or you're a doctor. Who knows what you are? You know, in those days, they didn't monkey around. They, you know, you you had to do your homework. <laughs> out there and start being a judge or whatever. It's also more visceral. I mean, you you were, you know, your teacher was breathing. I remember my bar mitzvah teacher, Mr. Ozio, would be like right beside my ear, breathing in and out and going, no, no, eso, no, eso. don't do that. No, eso. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. You know, go. I'm trying. I'm trying my very best. <laughs> so, 
What do you do when you have a legacy like that? When you have that kind of lineage, do you, did you always feel that you had to do something with that or, or did you feel free to do whatever you wanted to do with your life? Right. Well, tell you the truth, I, I always uh, knew about the greatness of my, of my grandfathers and everything. And of course, my mother will tell me stories of the different things that they did and miracles uh, that happened to them, uh, you know, really things that are not, uh, they're not usual. In other words, they're, they're, they're things that you have to be kind of a mystic. You have to be a person who's very pure, who basically never slept, who studied day and night. And so when, when it comes from, when, when those stories ring in my, in my ears, I knew definitely that I came from uh, from a good family, and just by by being in your house and and seeing how your parents are special, how they take care of you, they were always there when I came home. You know, it's not like one of these families. Uh, uh, you, you, you wish you never knew your father or mother. You know, we had uh, what we call in Yiddish yiches. We had foundations ba based on Torah. And, and the respect and, and those days, that's what, that's what it was. And even before my days, already in my days when I was growing up, most of the Jews were really leaving to Canada or France or, uh, or Israel. So I didn't really have the, the chance to see, to see my grandfather and the elders in, their, uh, in, the, in the height of, 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 of Judaism that was in Morocco at that time. So, but... It, it, it certainly left me with the responsibility, and that's why my mother called my and my uh, brother and said to to him, "You got to do something with this kid. He's starting to play music as if it was like the the worst thing in the world to play. <laughs> he started to play music, and uh, he started to sing in weddings and stuff like that. And we have to do something with him because he's going to go bad." So that's when my brother took the initiative and brought me through Yeshiva in Brooklyn, in New York, to come in 1968. I came, I was 13 years old, just right after my bar mitzvah. I was still with my suit for my bar mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these special suits. And, and I came, you know, with a haircut, like if I'm going to Vietnam, you know, very short. Ooh came to Yeshiva, and, uh, and when I went to Yeshiva, I, I finally, by learning and everything Torah at that time, I started to see the responsibility of having great grandfathers and people that were in, steeped in Torah. And, uh, so that, that left me with a sense of responsibility until today. It's egging me where I come from and, and the guilt and everything on my <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Good Jewish guilt. It, it, it always works, right? <laughs> so your mother's maiden name, it wasn't Ben Susan. What was her mother your mother's my, my mother was the name was actually Ben Susan without the Levi Levi, because we also uh, Levi. So oh, my, okay. Like Levi Ben Susan. But my mother was Ben Susan and they uh yeah. Oh, they, so they had to say okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah ours were Ben Mergi and Benjio. Oh wow. So Bengio, my brother seems to have thought that it was uh, Italian root, Ben Giovanni. Uh, and Ben Medighi would have been, uh, Marghi was the ancient capital of Azerbaijan. Oh. So perhaps, and my father's side looked much more uh, Semitic and Arabic and dark. 
and my mother's side looked very European. Mm. And, you know, and, you know, they, when I was born, they called me Blanquito, you know, little white one, because, because wow. I wasn't, I wasn't dark skinned, like my, one of my brothers is dark skinned. But it's so interesting because there, you know, <clears throat> 1956, there's 268,000 Jews in Morocco. Today, there's less than 2,000 Jews in the whole country. Right, right. It's, it's amazing. And, and it's still thriving. They, the people that are there, uh, you know, have wealth. And that's why I, I guess they're still there. Or some of them are very poor because they couldn't go anywhere. Right, so, right. Like you have these two. Uh, and, and so you, you, a lot of Moroccans went to Israel. Right. My mother, uh, I did a documentary series a while back called My Israel. And I entered, my mother just passed away a little while ago, but I was doing, a, I was in her kitchen and she was making a biscotto de miel, honey cookies. Wow. And uh, so she's making the honey cookies and I, I'm, we're interviewing her with a camera. I go, Ma, why didn't we go to Is, uh, Israel from Morocco like almost everybody else did? And she was very blunt, my mother. And she just said, why would I go by being treated badly by Arabs to being treated badly by Jews? I don't want to go to Israel because as Sephardim, we were the lower class, right? That is true. And when you come to Toronto, nobody, Yashkenazi didn't even know who we were, which I thought was a bonus. They just left us alone. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It was just like, we don't know that they're supposed to, we don't even know what they are, like, who who goes around, you know, going, ah, nah, 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 you know, we're just a different people. Right, 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 right. So I, that's one of the things I've always really. And then you go to the Ashkenazi and they're a totally different sound. Completely. Right? Completely. Yes. Tell me about those two different walking and straddling those musically, those two different worlds of Sephardi Arabic littered, you know, songs and Ashkenazi Germanic songs. Like how, how do you, how do you move through those worlds? How do you bring each to the other? Right. Well, when, you know, in the Moroccan Piyotim uh, upbringing that I had for my father and getting up very early in the morning to, to go through the different bakashot, uh, we call that, like four o'clock in the morning, we would get up on Friday uh, before, before the prayers and all that, we would go through like an hour, an hour and a half with, with, with cookies that my mom will give or other ladies will. That's why I got up for the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love the music also. So that kind of mu- music is very, very kind of uh, what you call in music in the words of melismatic, very fancy, very hmm. uh, fancy turns and crests and everything. So I had that already to begin with when I was born. So when I went to the Jewish Theological Seminary in America, where I graduated as a cantor, which I'm getting my doctorate, an honorary doctorate, believe it or not. Without of? Thank you for, from, from, from the seminary. Uh, they saw that I had this ability to, to sing very, um, very fancy turns. And it's like a jazz, you know? Right, and, right. And you have the mode and, and you would just go and sing uh, 
It's like a violin, you know what I mean? Beautiful. So when I came there, I, I started to, to, to sing to them and the, all these professors with bow ties, they accepted me right away to the seminary. And they said, you're going to be a, a good Hazan, in which I did. And then I, I listened to the great cantors like cantor uh, Yossel Rosenblatt singing his tal, which I, I got goosebumps when I first came to America. That's the first record that my brother put on for me to hear what an Ashkenazic Hazan was. And he sang this tal from, from, from Shalosh Regarim, from Pesach. It's a different world. You know, it's like with the Ashkenazi song, there's it's there's a tear in the throat, right? Oh, absolutely. Right? There's a, a, um, a built-in sorrow. Exactly. Right? That, 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 is, that is right. <clears throat> you know, Bacha Levine, a young singer now in New York, is a beautiful... You know, she sort of puts little nigunim in inside a song like "Bye, Om Babadi Dai, Om Didai, Om Didai And when I think of Sephardic music, I don't feel that same sense of sorrow. I I sort of find myself really just being taken somewhere by the. It's almost like a wave, Arabic sound, you know, that nine tone minor key. It's just a different kind of sound. It's like the muzim. It evokes a different feeling, right? Completely, completely. So what happened to me, how I mixed the things? I was a chazan in in Long Island, in in Roslyn Heights, very fancy shul, you know, and I was like... Right after I graduated, I, I had such a talent that God gave me. The people there said, this is the cantor we want. I sent them an anenu for Moshe Kutsivitsky, a very difficult piece. They went crazy. They hired me. <laughs> I was there. That was there. And people told me, do you know what kind of shul you got into? What, how fancy and how this... I said, I could see it's fancy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, God gave me a talent and I thank God for that. You know, I still like, I wasn't even, I didn't even know what right. I got into, you know, how good I had it because I was just a simple miracle. I still, 
remember when I had seven bucks when I came to America with a few <laughs> jewelries for my bar mitzvah. That's all I remember. To this was was like a miracle of miracles. Yeah, where's with the a, where's the Alafina? I, I want to have my thing. <laughs> where's it's not Alafina here. It's Choland. You know, it's Choland. Choland. It's Alafina. Chickpeas, potato, beef, exactly. Egg. Get into it. <laughs> So one time in the middle of Musaf, one of the, the second part of, 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 of the second uh, part of the Shabbat prayers, liturgy, is called the Musaf. I just went off. I, 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 I missed my songs from, from, from home. So I would start to count the Shabbat. This is Ashkenazidi. Count the Shabbat. Ratzita Korbenotea. back. <laughs> People told me, what are you doing? Unbelievable. I'm jamming (laughs) with myself. That's right. (laughs) So you were starting to float back in and out of two different traditions, crossing the bridge back and forth, and they're going, hey, what are you doing? That's that's it. But but that takes a certain... uh, you're living in different worlds, and it's almost like speaking different languages, right? Like you, you, you think differently if you're singing one way or the other. Is my assumption? A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and 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 I know exactly when I'm eating smalt's herring or couscous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. I, like I, <laughs> I, I went to we, what, what's called kiddish after a, a Saturday service. You have kiddish where people sit and eat. And I was, I had to go to an Ashkenazi synagogue because my father was working and uh, I would go to Beth Shalom Synagogue in Toronto, which was up the street from my house and where I went to Hebrew school. And I'd learn, you know, I mean, I'd learn how Ashkenazim do things. But when I went to Kiddush, they'd have desserts that were called nothings. (laughs) And I thought, oh my God, what do these people eat? (laughs) <laughs> where's the vizuelas? You know, where's like real food? I want real food. Yeah, that's right. I, I used to always joke with my Ashkenazi friends that you know, I said, "Look, your food it all starts with a K: kugel, kreplach, knedlach, kishka, and it's all beige." And, right. and, I, and I said, "Our food is well." I always said, "We're the R and B of Judaism. We're the rhythm and blues of Judaism. We're a different way of doing it." But you end up really, like me, uh, in, in, in many ways, uh, living in an in a Eastern European Jewish milieu right. as a Sephardic Jew. Right. right. Where, where, is there a tension in that for you? Is there something you have to work with and figure out how to still be you? Well, well that, that, that was probably one of, one of the hardest things, you know, because we come from a different culture, and it was hard for me when I first came to to the shiva and, and start to hear these sounds, which I'm not used to, food I'm not used to. It was a, a big shock for me. 
And and that shark, you know, until today, obviously, it's not the same thing. After uh, 40 years of eating uh, cholent and, and gefilte fish and air, you got used to it. <laughs> I even like it. But, but but there was a transition there, you know, from hating it to right. to liking it. Yeah. And that and that's something that that's part of my life and and part of your life and many other people that had to adjust to to. A new reality, a new life, and new music, and uh, and everything else. But there is always a connection when you're a Moroccan, when you have all this kind of music, like African music and rhythms and six eights and all this Moroccan music and, and, and incredible music. You have rhythms that are so difficult and so advanced, like in the Andalusian music. And, and so so when you listen to jazz, it, it's already home. It, mm. it, that's why I like jazz. And I say, why do I like it so much? And I like it so much that even in the middle of the davening, I threw three blue, blue notes here and there. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of being Jewish. It's, it's uh, yeah, yeah. Jewish notes into Jewish modes. I mean, it intertwines somewhere. And it comes, you know, certainly in my soul, even though it's gospel or so, or, 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 or jazz, but there is a certain spirituality in there. Yeah. Uh, I think about the great uh, jazz people, that they, they were spiritual. They were almost like rabbis. They looked like rabbis. And they played that instrument as if they were mystics, you know. Uh, that's yeah. how I feel. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> no, no. I Like when I said I, at the beginning, I interviewed uh, Sonny Rollins uh, recently at 91. Uh, a, a good half of our conversation was about the fact that what, it, what he's doing, as far as he's concerned, is a spiritual pursuit. Wow. Uh, right? And, that, and part of what it is for him is not to try to be something, but to just be available to what is actually happening he says i'm some if i'm playing well i'm not playing the saxophone mm -hmm. i'm just a conduit it's playing me i'm just here and if i resist it and try to think how am i doing does anybody like what i'm doing then i lose the thread yeah right right, right? Wow. so and it's, i think with any uh, spiritual singing there is that i mean when i listen to gregorian chant and, and I think to myself, you know, somewhere between five and 10 men are standing there and they've got a three note range that they're moving up and down in for an hour. Right. And I, I just think, well, you know, this is about being present. You know, it's not about showing off. Right. Exactly. exactly. How, how do you deal? I always had a problem. If the Hazan, if the cantor, was too good, then I didn't have to do anything. I could just sit back in my chair and they would take care of all the singing and the rabbi would just say page 62 and page 69, that it was more of a performance. How do you find a way to bring the people who are in that whatever service you're doing into a circle with you as opposed to just you're the, the performance and, and they're the audience? How do you do that? Right. That, 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 that is, you know, that, that's like an singing an aria in a, in a beautiful opera, in any opera, where, where, where the music is so incredible that it becomes spiritual. It's something godliness of godliness in it. So our job is to make that godliness come real and come true. 
It's mm. like you have a piece, it's written, it's how you play it. If you play it in a certain way, that it's got that uh, emotional, you made it, you made it too spiritual and, and something from your heart. And that's what comes to, to the person. So you have the same actually piece sang, sung by a cantor who sound, who, who's an opera singer. He's really not, there's a difference between an opera singer and yeah. a cantor. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a difference. So uh, they sing it. <laughs> you know, it sounds like, uh, you know, Mozart, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't sound real. When, but, but, but if you sing, mm. It's all in the phrasing and how you sing it. One, you... one invites you in and one says, watch this. Exactly. Right. That's the difference why people tell me, when, when I hear you, I hear God. I, I feel God in front of me right. because I, may, I, I, I make it to a prayer, not to a performance. Right. There's the difference. There's the difference, right? And then there's some music that you just is infectious, and the the congregation just wants to be part of it. You know, I, I, like a lechadodi or something, right? Where right. It, it, it's infectious. You just want lechadodi, you know, people just love it. But That's I, I song, by the way, yeah, That's and, <laughs> wow, right? Yeah. Uh, and also, you play the oud, right? Right, I played the oud by ear. Again, it's something that when I heard this oud played from uh, from an Arabic uh, instrument uh, oud player from Morocco, I almost fainted because of the love, this crazy love that I had for music, and 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 and, and so it, this stayed with me all the time. And now at my age, I'm sixty-seven. I'm a little bit older than you. I uh, started to take old lessons hmm. from somebody from a refugee uh, that came from Syria. The most nicest, humble musician you can imagine and knowledgeable. And he says, you can call me with any question or anything. I'll, I'll, I'll be more than happy to sit with you, explain to you everything. And he, there's, no, there's no ending of hours of minutes this is the kind of teacher you 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 dream to find. Where are yeah. you going to find a, a teacher in, in Toronto that tells you you can call me anytime? <laughs> it doesn't exist. You call them, you you know there is a bill afterwards. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, give him five years. We'll see what happens then. Exactly. <laughs> He'll go. Wait a minute. <laughs> it's like bargaining. Yeah. <laughs> So why at 68 did you decide, because you already knew how to play the oud, why, why at 68 did you decide, I, I want a teacher for oud? Yeah, because, because whenever I, I, I pick up the instrument, I want to be able to express myself to, 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 what, to, to the talent that God gave me. And I don't feel that the science of oud which is a science, like any music, all these modes and everything, to be precise and to be really authentic and to give it with your best of your ability, uh, you, 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 you need a mentor. You need somebody who will tell you, you want the sound 
mastery of the oud. When you hold the instrument, you have the face to look at it and to play it in front of people. Yeah. You gotta, yeah, you gotta do some homework. You gotta do work. You know, it's just. Uh, but I, I took it to, you know, to where I played on stage and everything, and uh, people loved it and, and and everything. But I always feel something is missing. I need to really delve into it, and I owe that to myself and to the instrument to do that. So you 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 said the word that I've been thinking about lately. Uh, two things here. One is um, sometimes I'll I'll uh, I'll lead a Torah study class. Uh, one of our rabbis here says, you know, I'm, I'm going out of town. Would you lead Torah study? And I said, I'm honored. I'd love to. But I sometimes say, you know, uh, what I find interesting: the non-rational, the mystery part of our uh, spiritual brains that you have. I could interrupt somebody in the middle of Sim Shalom or a song they've sung a, a million times, Adon Olam, whatever it is. Right. And I go, do you, do you know what you're saying? Like in English, can you tell me what it is you're singing? And they go, uh, no, I, I don't. And I say, does it matter to you that you don't know what it actually means, what you're saying, singing? And uh, most of the time they say, no, I don't care. It's the fact that I've done this my whole life with all, and these people I do it with, and we're doing it together. Do you think it matters that people know exactly what they're singing in, in, in translation? Or does it matter more that they're singing together once a week? Mm. There, there, uh, these, these two parts are both of them important. You don't really need to know something to be moved by something. I mean, right. you don't to know really the meaning to have the experience of, of singing an Adon Olam or any hymn in, in, in the synagogue and really be part of it. But there is, a, you know, but there is a, other people that cannot do that to themselves. They have to understand what they're saying and they take the time to, to have a better experience, not necessarily better. They're this type of people, intellectuals. They have to understand everything they're saying. So they, for them to be able to have that, 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 that really uh, love or, 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 or experience that they're looking for, they have to understand because their mind is built like that. So, they, so they, you have these two schools that, are, that I fought my whole entire life with. Do you, do you learn music? I can sit on a piano and make all kinds of stuff or on a hood, and it comes out natural just because the music is always burning. Or do you want to become this uh, person that knows what they're doing, but not necessarily that it's going to give me any better results as far as composition or anything else? Because sometimes it takes away from it by knowing too much. You become very, it's like voice lessons. They teach you stand, sit, this. You, after so many rules, you don't know how to sing anymore. You know? <laughs> but it's got to be something natural, you know. That's right. Iowa, leave me alone. I just, yeah, exactly. I just want to sing. Leave me alone. <laughs> it's not as hard as you're making it. Yeah, no, no, it's a very, that's very interesting. So here's the other thing. You said a person can listen to you and then think that there's a godliness, a God moment for them. When you think of God, what do you think of? When I think of God, I don't think of a punishing God. I think of a God that is, is here to help you. 
He knows we're not angels. He knows when we make mistakes in life, we treat people badly. Sometimes we say the wrong things, especially family. You may say something to your wife and she cries and you have that on your shoulder all day and for many, many years. But he, God is not the God that wants to come and, and punish us. He's here to help you through your journey. Life is a journey. He's come, he, God wants to see you, to, to come to your, to, to your purpose, the purpose that you came in, into this world. So he's here to hold your hand like a father and a son and to take you from one side of the lake to the end, which is basically the end of our life. So that's how I think of God. And many times, you know, it's, it, it takes a lot of uh, experiences in life and everything to go through a lot to understand that, a lot of studies. And every everywhere I turn, it's, it's basically the rabbis, they're trying to tell us, be careful to do this and be careful to do that and be careful to do that. But in the end, in the end, God is out there in giving us so many opportunities to straighten up and to and to and to find the purpose really where we came here into this world, which is one of the mo the most difficult, because we're looking our life. How can we, how can we be beneficial to other people? How can we help? How could we, let let's say my music. I want to do music. For, for to, to show that there is godliness in this world, you know, by singing with a beautiful voice, God gave you that present, you're giving it back by helping people, institutions, whatever, or a bar mitzvah, you're teaching him, or you're making simcha for a hatan and kala, for a groom and a bride. So you, 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 you're taking what God gave you and, you make, and you're making it come alive. So that's what God, that's the importance that, that, he, that he, as far as the connection between a human being, any human being, it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or, or there is a purpose for everybody. And, we, and here he is, if you fight enough, he will take you to the other side of the, like, like my mother says, Victor Hugo would say, if you come from one side of the lake and go to the other side of the lake with all, or the ocean, with all its waves, which is life and all its ups and downs, and you can see the other side and you made it. And, and life is ups and downs. We have to fight and, and, and try to find the purpose. I don't know why I got into it here. No, no, no. That, I mean, look, it's not, it's not a question... You turn around to somebody on the subway and go, God, what do you think of God? What is God? But I do yeah. find that everybody has their own way of seeing it. Right. Uh, so, but in your answer, one of the things that I'm thinking is where are women in that? There, you know, God is a, a, a he. Uh, right, or a she, so, right. Right, so, but you also, uh, like me, grew up in a, in a milieu, in a cultural tradition where there are the men and there are the women and the men are, you know, uh, on the pulpit and the, on the bima, you know, uh, and the women are not. Right. But now here we are. Where, where do you see the role of women in prayer leadership and song leadership and synagogue leadership? Where do you see them? Yeah. When, when I first started in, 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 in conservative movements, there, there was no shlichat sibur, a woman becoming a cantor or a rabbi at that time. Right. And, and there was actually a, a part of the synagogue that was 
separated between men and, 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 and women, because that's what the conservative movement is to show all the facets of Judaism and to, uh, to conform to it and giving you a chance to do how you want to, to be. That was, the, that was the ideal then, but things have changed, you know, uh, to more... Uh, uh, egalitarian and 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 so the traditional part was sort of like lost and I'm sad to see that uh, today even though you know I'm still involved with with the conservative movement too as far as as uh, singing uh, different uh, occasions like uh, conventions and things like that but I'm sad to see this uh, this part that, that it's up to you. You want you want to be orthodox or modern orthodox or, or conservative on, on the right side or on the left side. It's up to you. But that's not anymore uh, the, the case. And But I do accept that women took a part in, in, in into the davening and to becoming rabbis because, let's face it, they, they are just as smart as we are, if not smarter than men. So they, 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 they have a lot to say and a lot, a lot to give. Now, it doesn't mean that in the, and, and even in the modern Orthodox, a rabbi took a place also where, where she can be a rabbi, but not a cantor, because they, they, they're still in the books of ethics, according to tradition, a woman cannot really, uh, she can wear tefillin, she can do a lot of the things, but to the point where she can uh, be a shlihat sibur, I'm not sure whether we have crossed that border, but, mm. but, but I think that we will cross that point, that certain point where women will be even shlihat sibur by modern orthodox also. Right. It's the singing on Shabbat and singing here, and before you know it, they have more beautiful voices than we do. <laughs> and you're out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, but, but here's an interesting thing for, that I always noticed uh, coming from Morocco and living in Canada was, you know, I came from a place where there was no such thing as reform, reconstruction as conservative, orthodox. You were just you were just Jewish. That's right. And That's there was right. only one way to do it. And That's when right. I came here and grew up with all these uh, kids whose uh, parents went to all these different kinds of synagogues with different levels of observance. And you know, to my parents, this was very like, what are these people doing? Not, you know, bad thing. My mother was the first uh, woman to be the uh, president of the sisterhood at Petah Tikva and demanded that the, that women have a voice and vote and, on all uh, all constitution and bylaw things for the synagogue. So she was a very progressive woman. So I, I grew up with that and I was very grateful. But I realized that there was these choices one could make as to how they were going to be Jewish. Right. And that took getting used to for me because, you know, I remember going, I always say, opening my friend's fridge and seeing a package of bacon and just staring at it and then going home. And my mother was like, you know, how was it? How was your, your day you know, with your friend? And I said, you know, my, they've got bacon in the fridge. And she said, here it's different. They just do everything differently that way. But I do think that the different ways of be, being Jewish have, brought out some really good innovations in, 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 in the religion as well. And, you know, there are beautiful voices. Um, uh, Aviva Chernik and people like that, you know, there's just beautiful singing voices of that and they, they should be heard. And rabbis who I've learned from over the years. Um, so it is a different world. Uh, and 
tradition has a place, but what I've noticed is for Sephardic Jews, for Moroccan Jews, they have gravitated to the Orthodox way of being because right. the, the others don't follow all the so-called traditions in, in uh, as rigorous a way. So even though we were a traditional, not Orthodox people, but a traditional people, we are now, I have cousins who are Orthodox and they look exactly like Eastern European Jews. They, you know, they wear the black jacket, the white shirt, the black hat. And I'm just, I'm just like, I remember being at the wall at the Kotel in, in, in Jerusalem and a, a guy comes up to me and he looks like he's from 1893 Poland. I think mean, he looks exactly like uh, ultra-Orthodox. And um, he, he, he's basically hitting me up for money while I'm at the wall. And his first question was, you Jewish? And I, I was upset and I, because he was interrupting my prayer. And I turned to him and I said, yeah, is that okay with you? And he said, no, no, I'm just asking, I'm asking. And then, you know, he, I said, uh, he says, where are you from? Where are you from? And I said, Canada. Actually, I'm Moroccan, but I'm from Canada. Uh, and he goes, oh, I'm Moroccan. And I looked at him and I thought, I would never in a million years have known that you are from the Arab world. Right. You have just taken that and put it aside. And the way we see the Arab Jewish conflicts of today is very sad for me, because I also think unlike the Christian Jewish relationship in Europe, which was fraught for centuries. Yes, we were not. We were Demi. We were the second class citizen. No doubt about it. But there was also a beautiful richness that when you're singing with a Sephardic uh, song, what comes, what weaves through all of it is that we have been moving through that lake together, the Arab and the Jew, the Muslim and the Jew have been doing that. Right. Uh, I, where, right. What do you think of that? No, this is, what you're saying is a, is 100% true. And there's a lot of big rabbis like the head rabbi, um, of Israel before the, he's, he's no longer with us, but he, he had this difference where he didn't want to have that that uh, that our people should 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 imitate or be or be something else. They should stay true to their own culture, to to their own upbringing and everything. So that that, that, that change of being really looking like uh, from Poland, like you say, over the black hat and everything, it happens more outside, like in Lakewood and 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 the yeshiva in Brooklyn, because because we don't have today yeshivot like 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 the Ashkenazim. We don't we we we, yeah. we don't have that strength of 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 caliber of raising money and the and the popular and, and and what's popular and everything we don't have that we don't have you know the skills to and we don't have the people neither I mean, so so they they intermerge with the Ashkenazim what's good is you become a rabbi in Lakewood and you got the black hat and you got the education from that then you can come and be a rabbi in a Sephardic shul that's what you <laughs> right right right, right. What it is. but you've been in Ashkenazi synagogues for years is there ever a tension of I should have, I should, you know, my mother would have been happy, mind you, your mother wasn't happy you were in music, but I should have been, I would have been, it would have been right for me to have been in a Sephardic synagogue, or did you make your peace with that a long time ago? 
No, I, I had no choice, really, the truth of the matter. I uh, I went into Cantorio. I always loved, uh, you know, to pray in the synagogue when I was a kid. But basically what I wanted is to, uh, you know, to be a rock star, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, you know. <laughs> take a guitar and be Bob Dylan. That's what I wanted, you know. <laughs> or take but a nude. I- take a nude and be Bob Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> but life took me differently and I had to make a living and I knew uh, singing in, in an Israeli club will give me a plate of couscous for free. That's not going to go that far, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the practical side of you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> hey, listen, I, you know, same journey. I, I, I could have, you know, looked for a free meal at the end of a gig or I could exactly. go. Go be a culture worker for 20 years at the CBC. It would have been just fine. Um, so we have to say goodbye, which is, I love talking to you. It's just, yep. you know, we, there's not that many Moroccans in Canada. So the fact that we've, we're both here and we've both survived it all, it's pretty yeah. good. That's uh, true. It's and, really, uh, wow. To, yeah, to well, you to talk, talk. And you have such a distinctive voice. It's remarkable. <laughs> My God, it goes through like any any microphone. Any. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. One day I'll come into Toronto. We'll sit together. We'll eat real food. Oh, exactly. Right? And uh, and we'll share we'll share some stories. Uh, you take care of yourself, okay? Thank you so much, Ralph. Thank you. It's a it's really a pleasure and to see you and everything. And I hope. That we will meet in person with God's help. And Con favor de Dios, as my mother would say. Thank, yeah. thank you so much. And it's a beautiful, uh, you're amazing in interviewing. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you for very, and thank you for your music. And so, do you have a, a website people can go to? Because um, I find you on Facebook and I find songs, but do you have- I am- I, I don't. I have one, but I don't think it's 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 workable. It's just not. I'm not the, just a, a type that follows. Right, right. People but, send me, and that's so they they can Google uh, Aaron A A R O N Ben Susan. Right. B E N S O U S S A N. Right. On YouTube, for instance, and because they can watch you sing, and it's a beautiful it's, thing to watch. They, they, exactly. And they can be in touch with me through there if they want to have like a wedding or something, because I still do weddings. I'm not in a synagogue full time. Right. But I still do weddings occasionally when people want me in their wedding. So I uh, I keep a little bit busy in that way, not completely off. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I would be a great loss. It would be a great loss. So take care of yourself and we'll, I'll talk to you. Uh, I'll keep in touch and hopefully we'll get to meet uh, in person soon. Okay. Thank you so much, Ralph. My God, pleasure. Thank you. God, God bless you and, uh, and good health to you and your family. And you. Aaron Ben Susan. Cantor, Hazan, as we say, uh, singer of sacred songs, uh, an artist in his own right, uh, and my guest on Not That Kind of Rabbi. Uh, Please remember patreon.com slash NTKR if you want to donate to this website, uh, to this podcast. My website is ralphbenmergi.ca, and my new book is called I Thought He Was Dead. Uh, You can check it out. There's some excerpts from it on the Canadian Jewish News website as well. So uh, please take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And we'll talk to you soon on Not That Kind of Rabbi. Bye. Bye.
Thank you.